Bank Talk features thought leadership interviews with community financial institution executives on relevant banking topics. If you are that CEO or would like to be an executive one day, this is the podcast for you. Learn something new in each episode to improve the performance at your financial institution. And now, here's our host, Charlie Kelly. Hi, and welcome to Bank Talk. I'm Charlie Kelly, your host and partner at Remedy Consulting. Today, we're talking about customer level profitability. And, you know, the first question I always get is, what does that mean? Here's how I think about customer level profitability. And again, this is just from a very basic perspective. But some time ago, I used to, in the mail, and I haven't seen quite as many of these as liquidity has changed, but in the mail, I used to get offers to open a new account at a bank that I did not know. And the offers were pretty widely ranged. In other words, some would be offering me a $5 gift certificate. Some would be offering me 200 bucks. Some would be offering me you know, up to a thousand, I think might've been the highest I've seen. And I always thought to myself, how would each of those institutions value the relationship that much differently? That one thinks it's worth you know, a hundred dollar gift card and the other one thinks it's worth a thousand dollars. And so I've asked Sapreet Singh from Finlitica to join us today. Sapreet has been on a previous podcast. And after that podcast, we were talking about why the difference, right? And how is a value of a customer determined? You know, what types of things are you using when you're valuing a customer on behalf of a, you know, a bank CEO? And so that's what we're going to spend a little bit of time around. He's got some very interesting insights, and I think it's a a topic that more CEOs should be paying attention to. So without further ado, let's get to Bank Talk. Okay, welcome back to Bank Talk. Back with me is uh, Sapreet Singh. Sapreet, I think you're one of just a handful of guests that has joined us twice. So I appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much for having me back on again. It's it's an honor and a pleasure, Charlie. So, Sapreet, you and I, after we did our the previous podcast, I came to you because of the data elements of that podcast. And we were talking about this concept of customer-level profitability, or just you know, an understanding of profitability in general when it comes to acquiring a new customer, right? Yeah. And the way I think about this, and you know, the pre-conversation we had was was related to to fintechs, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, at one point fintech was the the greatest word in the world. Everybody was getting funded and their goal was to sign up a million customers mm-hmm. and or maybe, you know, multi-millions in customers and they were under the impression that by doing that that they would have a profitable business model. Yeah. And my argument has been that as you know, as that has gone about, I think that people are learning that not every customer is a profitable customer, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's just important to understand sort of customer level profitability. So with that said, you know, if I were to ask you your opinion, like what is your opinion of why your customers want to understand customer level profitability? Yeah. They think about that. Sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, right? So everyone now understands it's 
important to have profitable customers because they underpin the business. They are what's going to drive the performance. But in a lot of cases, as and as you mentioned, what we find is maybe 30 to 40% of deposit customers, for example, are profitable. So clearly, understanding profitability is, is important for many reasons. First and foremost, of course, you know, you want to grow revenue by because you want to grow profitable customers if you understand who they are. You can calibrate your marketing and acquisition because, you know, if you understand who your profitable customers are and you target your marketing and acquiring those types of customers, obviously, better results and uh, and a lower cost. You can clearly define your sales incentives to drive behavior to to attract more profitable customers, you know, focus your retention efforts, measure loan officer branch performance better because you understand, you know, at the integral level how profitability is being driven by these, these interactions and therefore better customer experience as well. So there's a whole host of reasons why customer profitability at an individual customer level both consumer and commercial is so important. Yeah, and it's an interesting concept that I don't think I'd heard that 20 to 30% before, other than, you know, kind of the old adage that 20% of anybody's customers are bringing 80% of the profit. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, so yeah. conceptually, I would say, I don't know that the CEOs that I've spoken to always have that, right? I mean, to me, there's, and again, you know, maybe the maybe the ones I'm talking to are smaller or or what have you. But I guess my point would be, I don't know that a lot of CEOs in community banks and credit unions don't take a seat of the pants approach, mm-hmm. right? Meaning, okay, I, I know who they are. You don't have to tell me. I've been in banking or for 20 years, yeah. right? I probably hear that way more than anybody else. Mm-hmm. When I push for details, sure. You know what I mean? The details don't always pop out real quickly. And, I, and I, then it leads me to believe that maybe it is important and not, you know, could could be important or not important to them. Mm-hmm. Right? But so let's just talk about profitability in general, right? When you talk to your customers and, and in general, I'm I'm making the assumption that your customers are coming to you because they're looking for data analytics, right? right? And mm-hmm. so when they come to you, do they think of this on a profitability per customer basis, profitability mm-hmm. per product? Mm-hmm. Like, what do they care about? I guess it'd be the question I would ask you. Right. And sometimes, you know, the answer is driven by some banking leaders assuming, you know, they know what they know and perhaps they assume it's hard to get to. But if I if I were to take a step back, obviously, you want to understand that the at what you call the per customer level, right? Now, to do that, you first obviously start at each individual account. Is each individual account contributing to revenue or is it an expense? And now when you look at a customer, you aggregate accounts across a customer and then you can roll that up to the product level. You can roll that up to a relationship manager or to a branch and get those different dimensions of profitability. But yes, you start at each account level, and then you aggregate up. Okay. And is it it fair to say there that because I'm a customer, Mm -hmm. and again, I'm I'm using my relationship with some of my financial institutions that I deal with, right? 
as yep. a customer, I think of myself as there's absolutely a partner relationship in there, you know, likely kid relationships at some point where they, you know, your children might have individual accounts. Good point. Yep. And then even outside of the family side of the relationship, there's probably this relationship across, am I just holding a deposit account or do I also have a mortgage, other loans, a HELOC, right? All those, those types of things. Yes. When, when you talk about customer level, I'm assuming you're talking about sort of how do I encompass who Charlie is and how many relationships does he have with us? And That is correct. A complete 360 of the customer taking into account the entire relationship, loans, you know, savings, everything. And I think you also brought up a good point, the household, right? And on the consumer side, you also want to know what is the household? Because, uh, you know, a household may have multiple people. If you look at one individual component of that household, perhaps may not be revenue generating. The household as a whole is, and therefore it's important for you. So that's key element on the consumer side. On the commercial side, obviously, the entire business relationship, but also understanding who the beneficial owners are and what's their individual relationship with, with the bank, right? So so you want to span both the commercial and the consumer sides as well. And then, of course, we can discuss as we go along, you know, how, how you come at, arrive at these revenue numbers, right? I think of it very simply, right? I, I think of it from the perspective of, you know, what does a deposit account look like, right? Yep. And uh-huh. and so what I would ask you to do is help me break down. If I were just looking at one customer, one account, yeah, right. give me some of the elements that go into, so we're going to ignore expense for just a minute here, right? And we'll, let's just talk revenue. Expense yep. gets a little trickier in my opinion, but from a revenue perspective, right? Uh-huh. If I were to go ask a CEO, what drives the revenue on this account? Yeah. It's a, it's a deposit account. Sure. Help, help me break that down. Like, how, how do they think about that? Or how, how do you think about it when you're building a model around it? Yeah. So it's, you know, think of the fees that go with the account, right? It could be interchange fees, late fees, overdraft fees, any other account expenses, or sorry, account uh, income. That is really what constitutes you know, the core uh, revenue generating part of a deposit account. And the loan side, obviously, it's more obvious, but that's what goes into the deposit side. The other thing that you, of course, can, uh, you know, factor in in the model is the cost of funds, right? Because you're getting these deposits and there's a spread between what you're paying out and what you are able to loan out at. And uh, in terms of cost of funds, using that differential also adds into the equation. Yeah. As long as a CEO or somebody in their organization understands the interest rate spread, right? So their their interest income and then fees get a little bit tricky because, you know, if you and I both have an account, I may overdraft more than you do. And that, you know, Mm -hmm. one one fee, right? In other words, the the fee for Charlie and the fee for Supreet might not be the same. Sure. If you know, at least trying to come up with an average, you could kind of go, on average, we have overdrafts of X, right? And so we would blend that into sort of the way we think about a deposit, the value of a deposit account. Right. And you're also remember, you know, when you're building this, you're building it at the transaction level. So you're understanding each customer's unique behavior and thereby, you know, really getting a more complete picture. And the other component I would add to that is I, you know, look at the time window. This is not a point in time calculation. So you're you know, typically we ask 
customers to look, say, at the trailing 12 months, because that covers seasonalities and so on. So you get this 12-month window, and you get this picture of what's the profile of this customer and what can I expect to make you know, on a customer like this. Yeah, and I think that that it's critical when you start talking about, if we're talking about customer acquisition, right? Getting mm-hmm. the next customer that just looks just like this customer that I've modeled, right? It goes back to, I, I think of this as, I really dumb it down, right? I go back a few years when I had my now adult children living in my house mm-hmm. and they were, right? I would, now this was pre-COVID and, you know, but, but when deposits, everybody loved deposits before they loved them again, right? <laughs> they love them again, but you know, there was that gap. In there. So, right, right. Um, so I would get these offers and these offers would be anywhere from, you know, like Chase Bank might send me something and, you know, offer me a thousand bucks to open an account. Yeah. Then the next one might come in at 500 and the next one might come in at 150. Mm-hmm. And then when I would see the, what they would offer my kid, this is just paper, you know, the old fashioned paper mail coming in, right? <laughs> I would see offers of 50 to 150 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and based on what, what you just described, you know, that would lead me to believe that, well, number one, it would lead me to believe that they valued me more than the kid. <laughs> and probably because I had money and the kids don't, right? I mean, sure. Just real simply, right? And then secondly, but, but I guess what I, what, the specifics about my next question are mm-hmm. how, when I look at three different banks with three different offers mm-hmm. and uh, that big of a range, yeah. Right, why do you think there might be multiple ways that each of those CEOs value, or, you know, again, whoever's putting out the marketing material valued grabbing an account from me? Yeah. I mean, if we tease that or piece that apart, I mean, there could be different components to it, right? There could be an institution's, uh, you know, philosophy on what they're looking to do. You know, I mean, you took the example of, you know, the of say a college going or a school kid opening an account. Sometimes, you know, you could have a longer, bigger lifetime value. So maybe you value that more, right? Some institution may say we want to put premium on that. Someone who's going to be like when I open an account in grad school. I mean, I still have that many years later, mm-hmm. and so. Lot bigger customer value there, but then of course, I mean, they, it could also be how how fine grained their model is for her measuring what they can expect to make, say, out of a ten fifteen thousand dollar deposit account. Are they also modeling in? Is this person more? Does this person have a higher propensity to then get other products like loan products? And so, a lot of things can go into it, and this is really a great reason why. A bank should understand, you know, what they can expect to make in a 12, 24 month period, and then, you know, target and refine these uh, outreach strategies so that it meets their meets their goals. Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you this: I've kind of surprised a couple of CEOs with that question. Right? I don't know whether you bump into them or you're talking to them as a client. Sure. You say, what do you think a deposit? You know, what do you think this value of this account is? You know, is it the 200 or the 500? If I just use those examples of the mailers, yep. right? I would have thought that I would have gotten answers like, well, maybe one of them includes a direct deposit, right? Maybe, maybe one of them includes yep. a requirement of, a, you know, you got to keep 10 grand in here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I never got that question. Never. Mm-hmm. And the other, and, you know, so because my, my specific question was, what's an account worth? And not that many 
a lot fewer than I would have thought could have answered it. You know, to me, feels like, you know, a little bit of playing by the seat of your pants, even though I would argue every CEO believes they know their customer, right? And they definitely do, right? I mean, they have the gut feel, yes. But I mean, there's, it seems like there, there might be a lot more value in defining, you know, some spectrum of customers mm-hmm. from highest to lowest, right? Yeah. And then based on that spectrum, figure out where you play, where's the sweet spot for your organization. That's and right. then, you know, back to your your concept around marketing and, you know, where is your marketing spend going? What are you, how are you incenting your people? There's probably a lot to be said. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, and yes, that's what we're looking to do, right? So help a bank answer, you know, what, what offer would make sense for me, right? Because I know exactly, or at least I have a very good idea of what I can make in these 12, 24 months. And then I can be more strategic about it and say, I'm further refining this to look for customers where I can cross sell up, sell other, other products, you know, be the primary relationship, for example. And in terms of ranking the customers, as you were mentioning, so there is definite value in knowing, okay, who are my highest value customers, right? Whether on the commercial or the consumer side again. But then you also want to understand all the segments that you're profitable and unprofitable customers fall into because you could also have a situation where there's a lot of you know customers that contribute to revenue may not be very big revenue producers but there's a lot of them and you can grow the part obviously by growing that number as well so you want to look at both you want to certainly look at your top customers that you want to understand and uh, you know uh, give white club uh, service to but you also want to understand all the sub-segments, all the different segments that your profitable customers fall into or unprofitable as well. Uh, so, Supreet, the, the question that I have on this next thing is flying the seat of your pants versus paying somebody to identify profitable customers and segment them in way, some way, shape, or form. If I'm a CEO and I'm going to spend money, mm-hmm. go do this analysis on my customers, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's 50 grand or 10 grand or 300 grand, but I don't know what it takes to do an analysis like this. Mm-hmm. But I usually, as a CEO, most of them think about it as a return on investment, right? Sure. Where does the return on investment come? Yeah. And just yeah. Knowing, you know, and being just a little better than I know my customers because I've been doing this for 20 years. Right, right. And yeah, I think the very first place to start is because this is part of a bigger data strategy, right? So if you have this number, you have pulled together complete view of your customers and portfolio, right? Because you understand the transactions and what the customer looks like, you know, 360 degrees. And so there's many different areas where you're going to drive value, but focusing just on the profitability, you know, stating the most obvious one percent, obviously you're going to drive more revenue because you understand your profitable customers, you know what they look like, and you can focus on retaining them and growing that part of the customer base. You are, of course, also tweaking your incentive structures, even from a customer viewpoint. If you are finding segments that are unprofitable, perhaps, you know, you may not want to retain those customers. And then you can, you know, figure out how your, uh, you know, account fee structure, you know, reflects that. You can, of course, you know, if I think about it, look at, the profitability and the relationship with performance across branches, you know, branch performance, product performance, relationship manager performance, 
So you're driving the right behavior at all these different levels in terms of the right customer acquisition, the right customer you know, experience, and so on. I think we talked about this earlier. You are also you know, spending your marketing dollars more efficiently because you're not doing you know, what in the old days called spray and pray. You are actually focusing on the right segments that you want to attract compensation plans for sure, right? So you, you want to make sure that you're driving the behavior as we mentioned and the retention strategy. Again, we talked about that. So there's a whole host of things that, you know, driving toward by by understanding, measuring profitability, you know, and uh, basing your strategy around that helps you in so many different ways to drive the ROI. And I would probably, let me dumb it down even one notch further, right? I think of this as sort of a, right, I'm a bit of a fisherman and a hunter and all those kinds of things. <laughs> yes. There's a, an adage in fishing, right, that going back to your 80-20, right, 80 or 90% of the lake doesn't do anything for you. Sure. So you could spend your whole life fishing in the 80, 90 <laughs> and, and draw nothing, right? And, or, you know, meanwhile, the one guy that's sitting over the one spot that's got all the structure, right, right is bringing in, you know, he's, he's pr- more productive in a lot less time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would argue that that's kind of what we're saying. If you know, if that concept of twenty percent of your clients are the most profitable, then yeah. you need to figure out right. You need to figure out the ones that are not, and see if you can drive behavior to get to the ones that are. Yeah, absolutely. I think that fishing analogy is a great way to look at it, right? So you want to be in the right part of the lake, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So I, the, I only have two more items here. One of them, I want to spend a little bit of time around expense. Uh-huh. At the beginning of this, we specifically excluded expense because I think when you look at profitability per customer, uh-huh. it's it a little sticky when you start talking about expense. And and here's, uh, you know, again, the remedy team, we're all about expenses. You know, we concentrate probably more frequently on technology expense. Sure. So I think of technology expense. I think of, you know, let's just talk about your digital platform. You have uh-huh. a customer, he comes into your bank, you give him all these tools. Yep. He may or may not use the tools. You pay for the tools in different ways. But mm-hmm. in general, 100% of the 80-20 we just talked about are getting a tool. Okay. Right. Paying right. for those tools. Right. Yep. If some of those customers don't even keep any money in your bank, you're still paying for the tools for 100 right. when the 20 are the ones you care about. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So yep. I guess what I would probably say is when you think about your customers that now are talking about not revenue per customer, but profitability per customer. Right. Does it get murky when you start talking expense because of this concept of, I could put everything in there from my real estate costs to my, you know, every, every administrative employee I have and, you know, blend them in there or is it, is it cleaner than that? Yeah. So for sure, you know, you can take into account, you know, the fixed part of the variable part of the expense, right. As you mentioned. But I think the variable part is where, you know, which drives the more value. And to your point, yes, it's, uh, you know, it can be further refined. You can make the model as sophisticated as you want, but you start by saying, you know, let's not make, what do we say, perfect the enemy of the good, right? So there's a lot you can get done with a simple model and then make it more refined as you go along, as you start deriving value from it and you see the need to make it more refined but at the at the very least you start with the expense the, the variable expense part which is you know things like check writing and bill payments 
things that drive even branch visits that drive the expenses and capturing that behavior at the customer level assigning perhaps approximate cost if you don't have an exact check writing cost for example to that transaction and then refining it as you go along but now you're building up this view of each customer and really are you making money on that customer and i would say that i really understand your point about how sophisticated you want to be because there's a, you know to me the value in the expense side of the equation is just to say if a customer costs me, and I'm making a number up here, ten dollars yeah. a month, right? Yeah. If every single customer, on average, costs me ten dollars a month, mm-hmm. and I can't get around the ten dollars a month, right? And if that ten dollars a month goes away if I don't put a customer on, mm-hmm. and comes back if I do, right? Then the way I would think about that as a business owner is I would say I cannot have revenue below ten. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Unless there's, unless I see a future value somewhere, right? In other words, in other words, if I bring that customer on and I know I'm paying ten a month and they're only bringing in two, right? That yeah. variable expenses, and I think that's how we're talking about variable expense here. Exactly. The, the variable element of it says mm-hmm. that I at least know my low bar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for every single customer or account or you know whatever that bar is based on, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I, I tried to I tried to summarize what you were saying when when you said that you don't have to boil the ocean, that you don't have to get every element because every element may not help you. But I sure would think that that low bar piece or that baseline would be pretty critical. Right. And the only, I guess I would just expand on that $10 a month analogy because I would say it's variable by customer. And the reason I say that is because you are taking customers' individual behavior into account and it's, you know, data driven. So it's, it's just done automatically once you put it in place. It's happening every month. But what you're doing is you're you're really looking at how many checks each customer per se is writing, right? And then mm-hmm. assigning that cost to them. Now, there are some costs, as you said, that spread across customers regardless of who they are, right? Like the technology cost, for example. But then the variable cost really depends on their behavior. And so... So you get a better, and, and again, keeping in mind that 12-month window, you know, if you model that over the 12 months, you have a pretty good fair idea of these kind of customers, here's what I can expect to make of them. Does that help clarify? Or? No, it does. It does. And, and I'll, I'm going to spin that one last time, and then we'll kill this, this subject off. But let's use the $10 analogy. If my baseline customer is 10 bucks, and because of check writing and everything else, one of these more revenue, high revenue customers ends up costing me 12, mm-hmm. I need to at least know the gap between what it costs to put a customer on and what it looks like for somebody who's got better usage. Because usage might be profitable. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, usage should be profitable. At least that's what we've, right? If you ask any mm-hmm. any fintech, they would say, hey, the more bill payment customers you have, the more sticky they are, therefore the more profitable they are. But right. I would, I would yeah. argue that you got to take that expense piece into account. That's right. For That's right. somebody who's a power user, for lack of a better term. Is that, did I summarize that okay? Or is that? Yeah, the, the way I was thinking about it, right? Because, for example, you may want to move people towards a digital channel rather than writing paper checks, for example, right? So, this you're writing paper checks, for example, that is a check processing cost. So I was looking at, I was putting that more on the expense side. But I see your point, right? So in, in the sense, and, and that, by the way, is another area, is 
you know, there are ways then once you understand this transaction level behavior of customers, can these be moved, for example, into a cheaper channel, right? Into right. a digital channel. And that can be driven by the profitability understanding as well. So yeah, that's great. That's a great perspective because really that's, I mean, it is about, you know, you, you hear the old know your customer. I think everybody believes they know their customer, but the more you know your customer, the more maybe you can drive either additional revenue or, you know, revenue to go up or expense to go down, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And then, yes. And then once you have, you know, your basic variable revenue and your, you know, varying expenses and the differential, and then you get to the number that, Charlie, you were talking about, right? You know, does this costing me money to keep this customer or am I making money on it? Right. Because if you if you go back from customer level and back to account level, yeah. the way I think of that statement that you just made is Charlie might have four accounts with you, three of which might be terribly unprofitable. I may be in that cost model of I don't have a direct deposit going into them. Um, you know, they're not really earning the bank anything. But that last one might just be enough to offset, offset everything. You know, the yeah. relationship then becomes more important than the individual accounts. Exactly. It's exactly the reason why you want to do it at the customer level, not just at the account level is the starting point because that's where you build, that's your basic building block. But then, yes, you have to put those blocks together to to get the real picture. And the other thing I would say related to this, and I know we talked about this in the pre-session is if you know your baseline, going back to that baseline comment, right? Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. it does drive just a very basic strategy of if I know my baseline is X and I know that I don't drive any revenue out of these types of accounts and these types of customers don't have any other accounts with me. Mm-hmm. Well, that expense is real. And, and wouldn't I then build a monthly fee into that account Yes, to cover my own costs of keeping that there? And then that customer can determine how, how important it is to them to keep it there. That's exactly right. Or, or you say, are there untapped opportunities, right? That am I not selling this customer something that and again, that's again data driven, right? Different discussion about, you know, the propensity to buy some other products that you're not selling them today that you might. Yes. Right. Okay, good, good. That's really all I wanted to talk about here today, Sabrina. I think we covered it pretty well. Just one last question I would have for you. And that is, you know, I know I asked you about customer level profitability, right? But I'm sure this, you know, once, and again, maybe it's once you know customer level, or maybe there's just other elements to profitability. But just give me a couple of thoughts on where banks are using profitability measures in other places. Once you, you know, once you get your hands around the data, right? right. What else yep. is that driving in the organization? Or how else, how else are they asking about, you know, I need to understand this about my organization? Yes. So, I, you know, I think it's the underpinning of performance, right? So once you tie your profitability to bank performance in different areas, right? And I think we alluded to that earlier, discussed that a little bit, you know, profitability at the branch level, you know, which branches are more important, you know, which ones to keep open, for example, or, or different hours or more hours. It could be who's who amongst my sales team is bringing in the more profitable customers, right? You want to incent that. And then, of course, the products, which products are really making me money, right? And which ones are the loss leaders? And so those are the other behaviors that are driven. And then, of course, the marketing, like we talked about, right? So it's it's driven by that. Given that now you're refining, you're you know fishing in the part of the lake where there's more fish. I think we also talked about you know customer experience because 
you you want to spend more perhaps on customer experience. But again, rather than spreading that out, now you can focus in on where you know the profitability segments are. And then again, we haven't really touched upon this as much, but AI can play a bigger role in this, right? So, you know, showing customers at risk of leaving, then you're looking at are they profitable customers, so therefore you pay them more attention. Uh, you're providing a better experience because you you know want to retain them. You are obviously looking at customers which you know have the propensity to buy other products, and thereby driving more revenue. So so there's a whole lot of things that are underpinned by profitability analysis. Mm, uh, that's a great perspective, and I would argue that I mean even if something as simple as because right, we've had other discussions on Meg talk about you know are you keeping your brick and mortar open. Right. And I think what I heard from one of the previous guest speakers was I may close that branch, right? That's yeah. out in the out in the boonies. And the problem I have is I, you know, in doing that, my one commercial customer that brings in all the money to the bank. Yes. Right. He lives four blocks away. Right. <laughs> I don't know, whatever, right? Or it's down the street from a you know, the only factory in the area or whatever, right? So, yeah, yeah. so yeah. it doesn't on paper look right, but without AI, you might not be able to see that. Yeah, I mean, there's probably some artificial intelligence you're going to need to just go and correlate right back to the maybe yeah. I don't close that branch. Yeah, the basic. And I think I just, you know, I, I, I know we've talked a lot about how data drives this. And yes, you know, obviously that analysis needs to be done. But I think, you know, it can be done in a simple way. It just is not terribly complicated, but it brings tremendous value. Yeah, I would agree. Well, Sapreet, thanks. I, I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Um, Thank you so much, good. I mean, it's this is exactly what I wanted to cover. I, I just I think you hit some of the elements, and and again, you know, I th- you answered the question of why five hundred bucks versus two hundred bucks for a customer. I, it does depend, right? And it and again, I mean, it's it's really a you know, I don't know if you call it an ROI analysis or a future value analysis or whatever, but if you don't have any analysis. Right, and what that customer is worth, you know, you're probably behind the bank next door, mm-hmm. or you know, again, or at least the profitable bank in the neighborhood. Yeah, and they're probably yeah. doing some of this, I would imagine, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us again. We appreciate you having having you on Bank Talk. Thank you so much, Charlie. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Okay, I wanted to. Thanks, Supreet, again for joining us here on Bank Talk. I find the topic fascinating, this concept of, do you know what your sweet spot is for your customers, and does your spend match that? When you go spend money on marketing, and you go spend money on technology, and you spend money on all these items, right? do you have a, a decent understanding of what an individual customer is worth to you, or what a segment of customers are worth to you? So. Really appreciate Preet's perspective on this. And that's about all we have for Bank Talk today. So for Bank Talk, this is Charlie Kelly, your host. Have a good day and keep on learning. Thank you for listening to the Bank Talk podcast brought to you by Remedy Consulting. If you would like to learn more about Finalytica, please go to F-I-N-L-Y-T-I-C-A dot AI, finalytica.ai for more information. 
Thanks again, and we will see you in the next episode.